<laughs> okay, so we are back. Tonight is going to be Daniel part two, lesson two. And we have got so much amazing stuff to cover. And I'm really sorry we had, you know, like a couple weeks break. We no more than got back and then we had a freeze and everybody's houses froze up. We've had people who, who have had uh, water pipes are broken, their homes are damages. Uh, one of the gals in the morning has mold now. They do, I think what happened is though, she may have already had mold. And when the water uh, pipes broke, they had to get into the walls to check things out or repair the pipes and they found mold. So now she's dealing with that. I mean, it, what? I mean, how much more can we all handle? Really? It's like, Lord, please slow down the bad news. <laughs> we need, we, we don't need, wanna be Job. we don't, I don't wanna be a Job. I'm tired of being a Job. I'm ready to be, something else i don't know what else but <laughs> we're gonna just have a break that's all i would like to do okay so um do we have any special uh requests for prayers tonight before i do a prayer oh i can't hear them now yeah, okay. oh okay they're just not talking <laughs> any prayers any requests okay i'll just pray all right let's pray Father, God, thank you for our evening back together again and for this opportunity. What a, an amazing opportunity it really is to be able to come together, even though we're not actually in the same room. That's pretty amazing. And um, it is a blessing because so often there are many situations for people right now. They just can't be here. So, Father, we ask you to just bless our time, ask you to open our hearts and our minds to understand your word. Father, these end time things that we are looking at right now, they are so powerful and they are so um, applicable in the things that we're looking at in our world around us. And every single day we open our you know, newspapers or look online or watch TV and everything that we're looking at, Father, is pointing to the things that you've said in your word and uh, the coming together of world events and the, the unfolding and the fulfilling Father, of your word. I, I have just been amazed to see some of the fulfillments of things. And Lord, it's just amazing. It really is amazing. And we are so thankful that we know you, that we know your word, that Father, we know your plan, because knowing you and knowing the plan that you have already revealed to us gives us peace of heart, and it gives us strength to go through the days that are difficult. And Father, it is also just quite joyful to know that anticipation of your soon coming is really, really soon. So Father, thank you that um, we have had this opportunity. Thank you for your presence in our lives. And Father, I just pray that tonight in this moment that you will truly fall upon each one of us um, individually, that you would help our hearts to be comforted and strengthened and um, just established in your word and that you would give us the, the truth of the knowledge of the things that we need to know father that we might be a blessing in the world around us and that we might be able to stand firmly in our own faith we we just ask all these things in your precious name amen okay now so this week it's really it has been such an interesting week i had um kind of an interesting thing happened this morning with a, a friend, one of my students, the previous students, um, sent me a link about some things that pertain to end time. And I won't go into the details on that because that's really super not important. But what I found when I was listening to it pertains so much to what we did last week and what we're going to be continuing on this week. And that is how do you filter 
all of these things that are coming to us through media outlets of various kinds and even through pastors that we love, possibly our own our own churches even, how do you filter through the information that they're giving you and know for sure that what they're saying is true, right? And so this one particular video that was sent to me was about end time events. And this particular um, producer was speaking about a particular character that comes along in the end time activities. And he began to equate it to America. And right away, I was like, okay, no, wait a minute. This is, this is strange. Why, why does he think that? And I thought, okay, I'll listen. You know, does he have a cross-reference that's going to show an absolute that it's, and, and he didn't. He didn't ever give a good cross-reference. The cross-references that he did give actually are going to take us into these times that we're looking at here. And so now that we have been doing the homework that we're doing, what we know is the things that we're looking at here concerning um, the end, right? The, the days of revelation that we're going to be looking at in particular. And those things with Daniel prophesied through his dreams that God gave to him and through what God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. These things are pertaining to what will happen in the end. And so how can you take something that's happening today when all the other events that are yet to come have not occurred yet and then say, that's us and place us back there at the other end, right? And so all I could think of was, I am so thankful that precept is teaching us the disciplines of good in inductive study, because what we are learning to do is to identify our characters, the players on the stage that, are, that God has told us, right? Written in the word of God, and to be able to discern in a systematic way that's, that's not subjective, but that's objective. How do we place them, for instance, on a timeline? And in inductive Bible study, you're taught, put it on a timeline, put it on a timeline, right? Make a list, you know, do your word studies now, plug it in. And when you're doing particularly anything that's historical, you do need timelines. And so even though Kay has not yet really talked a lot about doing timelines, I would say to you, take a shot at it, start making timelines for yourself and see if you can figure out, because I, in my mind, for me anyway, I like to see things in a line. You know, you start here and you move to the right. <laughs> and I want to know where do each of these things happen? And th the scripture makes it very clear that these are sequential events. So last week, what we did was we looked at uh, Daniel 2 first. And then what Kay wanted you to do was to compare it to Daniel 7. Now, why do you think she wanted you to make that comparison? Why would she tell you to go and look at two and look at seven and compare things? What was she searching for? No answers? Similarities. There you go. What's similar? What looks like it matches up, right? Because when you start seeing similarities, what does that tell you? There you go. It's the same events. And so when what we did last week was we took an, um, a comparison look at something that's internal to the, the same book of the Bible that we're already in. We, we did Daniel chapter two, then we moved to Daniel chapter seven. It's written by the same author. It's written by the, at the same historical timeline. It's written um, basically all, everything is similar. And so you know that the author's intention of what he is trying to convey to you is going to be 
cohesive. It's going to match one another. He's not going to say something about, about a particular event or a person and then totally switch to something else that doesn't make sense to you, right? So when we lined up last week, Daniel chapter two with Daniel chapter seven, what we saw was uh, two visions. The first vision was a statue. And what did you see in that first statue uh, vision? What was depicted for us? What was the what was the dream and who was it given to? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Um, and then it was a statue with the different made of different materials. However you want to look at it, it down. Okay. So and how many portions did it, in the interpretation did did it show you? And what did those pieces of that statue represent? Kingdoms. Kingdoms. Very good. And four of them, four kingdoms. At the end of the fourth kingdom, what followed it? The stone. The stone. And the stone did what to the rest to that statue? Destroyed it. It crushed it, right? And it and it it, it is uh, crushed and, and and it's basically taken away. And what happens with the stone? Becomes a mountain. Yes, it becomes a bright mountain and it fills the whole earth. And, and then it goes on to tell you exactly what that great mountain is. What is that great mountain? Looks like. I'm sorry, say it again. Oh, I don't think they were talking to you. If you're not talking, can you mute yourself? Okay. Yeah. That's okay. They may not be able, they may not know how to do that either. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. So the great mountain become the stone crushes the statue. And then the stone becomes a great mountain and it fills the whole earth. It goes on to say at the starting in chapter two, verse 44 down, it begins, it tells you in there, and that great mountain is the kingdom of God, God. And it's a, it's a kingdom that will what, what's going to happen to it. It's eternal. it's eternal. It will never pass away. And in the crushing of that statue, he destroys and, and puts away or puts down all the kingdoms of these previous kings who were earthly kingdoms, who were kingdoms of men. So that's what we learned in chapter one, in chapter two, rather. Then she had us go on to seven and make a comparison. Now we have a second vision. This is about 51 years later. And now we're looking at Daniel's dream, right? Daniel is given a dream. When the Daniel's dream is of what? Beast. That's right. Coming up out of the sea. So let's start right there. And we're going to write down what we learned from last week. We already know there was a parallel as we looked at Daniel two and seven. So we'll just look at seven right here tonight on the board. And then we're going to line up any information that we can compare it with in 12 and 13 to see, are we looking at the same thing again now in these cross references? Because inductively, the important thing for us to do is to say, how do you how do you know those references and those cross references, for instance, that Kay are taking you to, are are actually compatible? That you're comparing apples to apples, and it's not just somebody pulling something out of the sky and saying, "Oh, this is talking about the same time." How do you know that? You need to be able to say to that person, "No, I know it. I know it's the same time frame because," and then you need to be able to explain yourself, right? Be, be ready to give an answer, <laughs> okay? So he, let's talk about Daniel 7 real quick first. And in Daniel 7, he says concerning those four beasts, so we're going to talk about the four beasts. 
And he says, where do they come from? Okay, coming up from the sea. Okay, so this is something we looked at last week. So this is nothing new to you. Now, what is the first one about? What is it? How does it look? Like a lion. Okay, and the second? Mm -hmm. Resembling? Bear. And the third? Like a leopard. And then the last fourth? Right, a terrifying beast. Okay, that's in seven, four through seven for your cross-referencing, for you to be able to go back and find that for yourself. Now, then there's interpretation that's given to us when you get down. I think it's starting around verse 17, maybe, right there in there, correct? Is that correct? Yeah. Who, who are those four beasts in the interpretation? What does it tell us? Four kings. That's right. Those four, four beasts are four kings. Okay, so I'm going to make a nice little cute crown there so you can see that distinction mark on there. I pulled that out of 717. It might be in a couple of other places, but I, I think that's where it is. And did it also give you interpretation for what the sea was? Also in 17, I think. From the earth. Yeah. So if, if, this, if up here it says it's coming up from the sea, in here it says these are four beasts, are, they are four kings, and he says, and they are coming up where? From the earth. So now what you know is they are kings of this earth, right? Four beasts are four kings, and they arise from the earth. All right, so now what we want to do is take a look at, um, before we, we're going to expound on this a little bit more, but before I do that, what I want to do is to draw in a little bit of information from chapter 12 and 13, just to lay down some basic points about what we've looked at there. In chapter 12, who was probably the most dominant character that's uh, presented to us? Dragon. That's right, that great dragon. Now, there is a woman, too. And when we get into our uh, revelation study, we will take a look, a deeper look at that woman and who she is and uh, try to parse that out even better. But I'll bet you've already got a pretty good idea who that woman is. But let's look at the dragon for now. So he's, it's, he's called a great red dragon. Uh, that's in 12.3, right? How is he uh, described for us in that verse? Seven heads. Uh-huh. Ten horns. Okay. Having seven heads and ten horns. Now, I, you know, I should have asked you guys, 
who of you have never done the revelation course before through precept? Oh, really? Kathy, I thought you had done that. And all the rest of you have done it? Have done precepts? You've done, I know Carol has. Parts. The, uh, the right. third and fourth part. Oh, well, you got the most challenging parts behind you. Then. <laughs> and now that you're going back, the, those part, those th part three and four are going to make a whole lot more sense to you because yeah, you're now. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It will. Here's, here's the thing. When you lay your foundations down first, it, it's kind of like trying to, to, you know, build a tower of building blocks and starting on the top layer. There's no foundation there, so they just keep falling through, right? You, you really need this foundation. Daniel is, is known biblically through the scholarly world as the skeletal work for history, right? For eschatology, they call it. And so if you don't go through Daniel first, then when you get into Revelation, you, you, you've missed so much of your, um, I guess your pillars, maybe that's the best way to say it. Those pillars that you, that give you some absolutes as to who these people are, what do they look like? Where are they on a timeline and how do you know it, right? How do you know this guy is in this place? And how do you know that guy isn't the same one as this one? And because there are some, going to be some situations that we're going to come across um, as we're going even through the book of Daniel, where there's going to be some characters that do some similar things and you can get them confused. So you have to be able to use the tools that inductive Bible study teaches you by making lists, making comparisons, and then locking things in. One of the things that um, we've talked about before, I remember when we did Genesis, and I don't know if you've done Genesis or not, but in the Genesis record, when God creates the earth, he says, on the first day this, on the second day this, right? On the third day this. In the Hebrew language, when you use the ordinal languages of numbers, first, second, third, fourth, they are locked in. The Hebrew language itself will not let you deviate and put them out of order. You cannot count in the Hebrew language seven, five, three, one, eight, seven, twelve, nine. You can't jump around. It has to be in the order. One, two, three, four, five. So when you see, for instance, what we've looked at here, these two particularly, the third and the fourth in the text of, of Daniel 7, it says, and this is a third, another, a third, and then it says the last one, and then a fourth, right? And we are going to see this come up in chapter two, I think it actually says, and a fourth, right? A, a fourth kingdom will arise. I'm pretty sure it did. So when it gives you oracle numbers, one, two, three, four, those are locked in. Now, I bring that up to just kind of stimulate your mind and to think about this. When we move into Revelation, there are going to be sequential orders when the seals and the trumpets and the bowls are poured out. When the seals are broken, the trumpets sound and the seal and the seals are, or the uh, bowls are poured out. It's the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, the fourth seal. And in that um, writing also, just like in English, you can't, you can't take them out of order. You can't make the fifth seal come before the first um, uh for the first seal. The first seal has to come first, first, second, third, fourth, okay? So what you're doing right now is you are going to establish that not only have I told you 
they are in a sequential order and that they have to be in the order that they're stated, first, second, third, fourth. So you can't jiggle them around, but you're gonna see for yourself when you start timelining this and when you see the unfolding history for you and I that's already fulfilled, you know it goes there because you know what kingdom follows Babylon. We start with Babylon. What did he say in chapter one about, about Nebuchadnezzar and the statue dream in chapter two? You, O king, are that head of gold, right? And after you will come another inferior. And he gives him that. And then he says, and another, a third. And then he goes right to the fourth. Then he says, and then a fourth will, will come. And so he lets you know right away that these are kingdoms and that there's an order in chapter two that we've already established. So now we're kind of building on that here. He's saying a first, a second. Well, he doesn't say use first and second. I actually put those in. So you could actually erase those if you wanted. But he does say a third. And he does say a fourth, a terrifying beast. Correct? If I got my... Is that correct? The first oh, it does say first in the, okay, then it's in. And then another second. Okay, it's in the uh, statue dream that he doesn't say first and second, but the implication is there because he picks up on third and fourth at, toward the end. Okay, so in this one, he actually says first, second, third, fourth. So you now know they're in this order and you know who the first one is because you know it's who? Yeah, you know who the first one is? Babylon. It's Babylon. It's Babylon and it's Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. right? Okay, so they are, these are four beasts. They are four kings. They arise from the earth, okay? Now, the great dragon having seven heads and 10 horns. And what does it say about uh, the heads? What's on those heads? Seven diadems. Seven diadems. Does anybody know what a diadem is? It's a crown. I looked at it. Wasn't it a crown? That's exactly right. It's a crown. Um, did anybody do a word study on that by chance? I know it wasn't in the homework, but did anybody? Okay. I did. I looked it up. Oh, good. Excellent. Tell us what you learned. Because a diadem is a crown, but it's actually more than a crown. Um, I have 79.85 was the Hebrew word, charlatan. Is that the same one? Was it an empire? Was it? Uh, it could be an empire, absolutely. Uh, now you're I looking mean. at it in the Hebrew, but it, in Revelation you're in the Greek. Oh yeah, I so looked up. Be... I looked it up in Daniel. Oh okay, okay. Well, in the in the Greek in Re Revelation twelve, verse three, it says seven diadems, and that's number. If you want it, you want the number. It's twelve thirty eight, and it actually is diadema. I mean, so it's very close in the in the English comparison diadem. And so what did your definition say in the-, the Bound about, uh, bound about the head. About, yes, okay, that's cool. And what's really neat is they, they often say it's a band of iron. Did you know, did you, did it say that in your- I didn't, I didn't catch that. Okay, mm -hmm. well, it could, it could, one of the other students this morning picked up on that. And I thought that was really cool. So it's a band, it's a band of iron. It's worn upon the head and it's a sign of authority or- it is worn by a king, but, it, it, but it's even more than that. It's the idea of complete authority, absolute power, okay? And the idea of the iron, you know, that one of the things that happens for us when we get into the fourth uh, terrifying beast, what is one of his characteristics that's identified for us? What's his teeth? Oh, the iron of? teeth. Iron teeth. 
Again, when you look at the definition on the diadem in the New Testament, it's an iron band that the diadem is. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, just a nuance that's there. It's, it doesn't, it's not a direct parallel, but, it's, but the nuance is there of this idea of power. Because we know what he's doing with those iron teeth. He's crushing and devouring everything, right? Okay, so the diadem, he has seven heads, ten horns, and so then he has seven diadems. So there's that crown again. So here we have a comparison that's already popped up for us, haven't Okay, and that's in 12.3. Now, we see in 12.9, we get a real clear definition of who this dragon actually is. How is he described? He's the serpent of old. I'm not going to write all that. The devil. And he is Satan. That you find all that in chapter 12, verse 9. And so now you look at that and you say, no, wait a minute. Okay. The dragon is Satan. But he has all these heads with crowns on him. And we know that crowns are associated with human kings. So how is that working out in your heads at this point? Just that they're getting, the heads are getting their authority, I guess, from the beast. There you go. And guess what? The next chapter actually tells us that, doesn't it? In the next chapter, in chapter 13, he says in 13.4, and the dragon gives his authority to the beast. That's in 13, verse 4. So here where you see the serpent, the devil, Satan, he has seven heads with these diadems on it. We know it's, it's, taught, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, um, it has a twofold message in the symbolism. The symbolism is it's Satan who has the power right? There's the supernatural, uh, spiritual power that's working behind the forces, but the ones that you and I see are the forces of the kings who wear crowns, okay? So already we're beginning to kind of see a little bit more of how these two things are often going to merge back and forth, and you're going to have to sometimes split hairs. With prophetic messages, Isaiah is a really good example of that, where I mean, it's a hard book to, to go through, especially if you don't really have a good understanding of um, the history of Israel and, you know, the kind of the kingdoms and the world. If you haven't done Daniel, you haven't done Ezekiel, you haven't, and if you haven't done some of the New Testament, you get into Isaiah and you have no clue who he's talking about because in one sentence, he can jump from one thing to another and back to the other. And then sometimes he'll say, for instance, in Isaiah, and my servant, blah, 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 blah. And he tells you something about his servant. And then you go, hmm, well, who's that servant? Is he talking about Isaiah? Is he talking about Israel, the nation? And I remember when I took this course in um, Chattanooga at the Precept Ministries, the gal that was leading the class, I would say, well, is that, is that speaking about Israel, the nation, as being God's servant? Mm, could be. I said, oh, she said, and I, someone else would pipe in and say, well, isn't Jesus always his servant? Said, yeah, could be. 
Okay, so, well, it, it, maybe it's Isaiah. Yep, could be. <laughs> so by the time we were done, we all stopped kind of guessing because the bottom line is you almost have to first establish for you, for yourself, what are the possibilities of what is intended by that pictorial uh, imagery that's given. When it speaks to you about a king, right, and diadems, you know that's a human king, and yet it tells you it's a great dragon and it's, it's Satan. So somehow in there, in your interpretations, you're going to have to learn to split when it's actually talking about Satan himself and when it's speaking of a man who's empowered by Satan, okay? So when you go to the beast, let's go to the beast over here in Revelation 13, And I do know that there are actually two beasts that are mentioned over there. There's a beast, and then about halfway through, it's another beast. Did you all pick up on that? Yes. Yeah, okay. We're not going to really discuss tonight too much about that another beast. When we get into Revelation, we will parse that all out. But for tonight, what we want to handle is the beast that we are familiar with so far. The advantage of doing a precept curriculum is that Kay has already figured out which ones we need to look at in order to find some comparisons and which ones are going to actually fit together. But one of the things um, I always like to try to challenge students to think about is if you wanted to find your own cross-references and you did not have the precept curriculum to work with, how would you determine what is a, an accurate cross-reference that's comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. How would you do that? You don't know? Okay. What we did last week was the beginning of you coming to understand this particular tool as an inductive student in prophecy. And that is when you compared the first dream to the second dream, and you started matching things up and seeing things that were connecting, you went, oh, there's four in that first one, there's four in the second one, right? And when you get to the, the fourth one in the, in the statue dream, how much time was spent on that fourth part of the statue? Was it in comparison to the rest of it? Do you, okay, go back and look at chapter 2, verse 37, for instance, because that's right in the middle of that statue dream on the interpretation. Flip that open and look. Is that the second verse? Okay, what does this verse say there? Um, 2.37. 2.37. Chapter 2, verse 37. Uh, you, O king, or the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and power and strength and glory, and wherever the sons of men dwell with peace in the field. I think we're in the truth one. That can't be chapter 2. Yep. Oh, am I in the wrong place already? Did I mess you up? This is uh, not a good one here. Yes, that's correct. Now, go to 30... Um, Okay, look at verse 39. So we were in the correct place. Yes, I, I just gave you the wrong, I just didn't start you low enough. In 37, it goes, it, and, uh, it goes all through this detail about the king, about Nebuchadnezzar. Now it spends quite a bit of time talking to Nebuchadnezzar, explaining to him, um, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that had a gold. And he goes on to explain to him 
all the things about his kingship and his authority as a king that God has given to him. And he says in that dream, you are that head of gold, right? Mm -hmm. But then what's the next thing he tells him? This, yeah. Nephew, it's another kingdom. It's inferior, then another third. Okay, right there. What verse is that? 39. Okay, so verse 39. How much time is spent on the next two kingdoms? One line. One line for two kingdoms. That's pretty interesting, wouldn't you say? Now go to the next part after that 39. Go to 40. Then it's from 40 to 43. And which kingdom is it describing for you? the fourth one. And this is the kingdom that he expounds on. He spends all his time and he goes into a great deal of detail. What does that tell you when you're looking at this particular vision? It seems to me like the focal point, besides him making sure that he understood his power and authority as a king being the head, he then goes on, but he whips right past the, the second and the third kingdom, and he goes straight into the fourth, and in the fourth kingdom, he spends an extensive amount of time explaining to them that this kingdom is something different, right? There's something unique about it, and there's something apparently more important than the previous two that were before it, and and since Nebuchadnezzar only already understands his own authority and his own kingdom, he doesn't need really a whole lot more information there either. But he really just skips over those next two and he goes straight in to number four. And he says, look, I want you to know about this fourth one. This is something different about it. And he goes into a lot of the detail. So this is where we're looking at this thing, this terrifying beast. And he goes in all this detail. So in Revelation, we're now at this other beast. What do we see there about that beast? How is it described in 13? Okay. Okay. Out of the sea. I don't, I didn't put that one in mind. Out of the sea. And that's which verse? 13 one. Okay. And then it says over here, it has 10 horns. And then what does it have also? Yes, 10 diadems. Is that familiar? <laughs> We've seen that before, haven't we? So we have right now, I'm just going to mark this in a way that hopefully you can see this a little bit better on the video. So we have got this mentioned three times that whatever this is, it's referred to in three different references. All times it's referred to as a beast. All three times there's reference to this beast having something to do with being a king or, or um, one of its identifying markers is that it's got kingship. It wears a crown, a diadem. So out of the sea. And the other thing that's similar is what? What else is similar between 10 and 13? How many horns? How many diadems? 10. So there's 10 heads with 10 horns here in, in uh, 12. And in 13, it has 10 horns and 10 diadems. Oh, yeah, there you go. Whoa. That's interesting. Well, I don't know. You might be right, but hang on to that thought because we've got to figure it out. 
well, let's just do the math. What happens with the 10 horns when they show up in that chapter seven, I think it is, right? 10 horns appear on the stage, right? Then what else shows up? Another horn, Another horn a little horn, right? And what does he do? He takes away three. So let's do our math. 10 plus one is 11. 11 minus three is eight. Hmm. Eight. And that says seven, seven mm -hmm. heads. Doesn't say eight heads. Mm -hmm. So is that a matchup? Nope. <laughs> nope. Hey. It's a matchup. But we don't know why yet. And we're a little bit confused about that, but you just set that on the side and hang on to it because we will understand it later. Right now, because what we are doing is we are looking in cross-references, what we are studying for us is what we're looking at in Daniel. We're laying down our foundational understanding about what is being told to Daniel, what part of history is he being given information on, and how does it lay out on a timeline? Because that's what we're doing if you're doing history is timelining, right? So because we need to get this timeline laid out correctly in our thinking, what we're looking at in Revelation is also still going to be adding in extra points, extra facts, extra little insights. And they may not totally line up with what we're seeing in Daniel, but most of it is, right? A beast, 10, 10 horns, 10 diadems, right? 10 heads. But then there's that seven thing, which kind of throws us off a little bit. Set that on the side. You might want to, in the uh, aisle of your observation worksheet, just put a question mark. Seven heads, why seven heads, right? And what? Um, huh? Katie, on this diadem in 12, it says seven diadem. In 13, it says 10 diadem. Okay, let's write that down. Here it says, 10 horns and seven, seven diadems. And over here it says 10 horns, ten ten horns and 10 diadems. So what's the same? 10 horns, 10 horns, but yeah. you've got diadems that are different, right? Uh, yeah. We don't quite understand why yet. And we, we're not really ready to work on that. Remember, we're at the very beginning. What we're trying to do right now is just get sequential order and timelines and look for qualities and characteristics that match to see if we're comparing apples to apples is the cross-reference that Kay gave to us a legitimate cross-reference to Daniel's right if it is enough of the points are going to match up that you will be able to clearly see that they are speaking of the same time frame of history they're speaking about the same personage the same characters our job especially when you get into revelation one of the Part two of Revelation is 12 weeks of doing nothing but identifying the different characters on the stage of that vision of, of Revelation. You're going to spend uh, 12 weeks looking at each person. In this case, we're getting a taste of it here. We know there's a dragon. We know there's a beast. We know there's another beast. We know there's a woman. We know there's something called the saints or the children or the, ch uh, the children of the woman. So there's going to be a lot more things that you're going to be digging out when you get into Revelation that we're not getting into tonight. And don't, don't let that frustrate you. Just know that there will be some questions you won't get answered uh, concerning Revelation. But what we're trying to do is clarify Daniel and see whether or not what we're looking at in Revelation is a legitimate cross-reference. 
And rather than you just taking our word for it, or my word for it, or Kay's word for it really more directly, because she's the one that wrote the curriculum. But rather than just taking our word for it, what we want to do is I want to show you methodology of how did we determine that that was a, a legitimate cross-reference. I had said to you earlier, I asked you the question, how would you find your cross-references if Kay didn't give them to you? Does anybody have a clue how you would do that? Very good. Yeah. Good job, Jeff. So you look it up in a concordance. What are you going to look up in the concordance, though? The words. The words that are prominent or what we call keywords in the book of Daniel, such as the beast, the dragon, the horns, right? Um, you would look at those, uh, at those keywords. You would go to concordance. You'd look, where else are they in, in scripture? Now, if you don't have Kay's curriculum, I can guarantee you there's a lot of references to crowns. So that means a lot of those references that you would initially look up if you're doing it on your own are not going to be legitimate and you're not going to, you're not going to use them. You'll have to weed them out. So it takes a lot of time. That's when you learn to really appreciate your curriculum because <laughs> Kay did all that for us. But what I want to do is make sure you understand how did Kay pick that one out and keep it as a legitimate apples to apple uh, comparison so that you know how. So what she would have done and what her staff would have done with her as they were developing this curriculum is everybody would have taken a certain number of those cross references and looked them all up and then gone in to see which ones of them give similar information where you can begin to line things up. So that's what we're doing tonight. I'm trying to show you by the list that we are going to be making here between these three references, what things seem to be lining up. We already know chapter two and seven lined up from, because of what we did the last time uh, in lesson one. So tonight we're looking to see how does Daniel chapter seven, which we know already correlates to two, how does two and seven then correlate to Revelation? which is now outside of the book of Daniel, and it's a cross-reference, how do you make sure that those are the same? You do it by looking for these similar characteristics, okay? All right, so we now know about the dragon, the diadems. Now, uh, tell me what was written on the head of those. You didn't write down it had seven heads. Oh, I didn't? Oh, has seven heads, sorry. Seven heads, thank you. <laughs> and what is that 13 one also yeah. okay has seven heads what's written on the head by the way blasphemous names yes blasphemous names on it's on those seven heads right that is um 13 one also right now it goes on by as a matter of fact did you see the word or did you happen to mark that word blasphemous as a key word when you did your observation worksheet in chapter 13 or in 12 or in any any of the other places that you looked take a look down in verse 5 and 6 of 13 revelation 13 what does it say there Somebody read those two verses. Jeff, can you read those pretty loudly? Five and six. Uh, five and six, yes. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. 
authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and the tabernacle and that is those who dwell in the heaven. Okay, so again, he's speaking blasphemies and it specifies then not only are the blasphemies written on the heads of this dragon, it, it is blasphemies that they are speaking are against whom? God, that's right. Blasphemies against God. Now, I could do the whole title, God Most High and all that, but I, I don't have room for that. So that's verses five and six, okay? Um, when you, um, hmm, I don't know if I got this in the right place or not. I've got a wrong reference written down. Um, what are some other events that are going on in chapter 13 that kind of are, might be markers or important things that would help you clue in about who this person or, or kingdom or king is? Is there, are there any qualities or characteristics that when you made your list, remember you're doing a list that Kay asked you to do where you're comparing seven to 12 and to 13. And she said, go and do your, Mark your keywords, do your own observation worksheets, and then make lists on the things that you see concerning what you're looking at in chapter 12 and 13. So what did you learn else about that beast in 13? He was given authority. That's right. Oh, there, okay. Tell me what verse you're in. I'm in, um, they worship him for, they worship the dragon because... He gave his authority to the beast. Very good. That's interesting. Oh boy, that's bingo. You hit the probably one of the better verses in there to begin to understand this nuance of relationship between the dragon, who we now know is Satan, but these kings with the crowns on their head. So how do they symbolically now merge is by this statement in verse four, where he says in the dragon, who is who? Satan. And Satan then gives him, that beast, his authority to that beast. So he gives his authority to the beast. That's in 13.4. Okay, let's put that on here. Satan gives his authority to the beast. Okay, that's in 13.4. Um, what else did you learn about? Remember, when you're looking at history, particularly, you're looking for people, places, and events, correct? I mean, that's what you primarily, those would be considered your, your major focuses of attention if you're looking at any kind of history. So like, for instance, when you do the book of Matthew and you're studying the life of Jesus, anytime there's a time reference or if there's a, 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 a feast or some kind of celebration, like a, a wedding, <laughs> anything like that, you mark that down and you make note of it. So in this particular record in concerning uh, the beast, what does it say about him that might be a marker that's real distinctive? Oh, very good. He's given authority to act. So the beast is given authority to act for 42 months, okay? That is in 
there's another thing. And in that time frame, when he is given this authority to act, how, in what, what is he acting upon? What is he doing? What does it tell us in there? He's coming up against the saints. That's exactly right. So if he, it says that he's given him to do what? Make war. Now, would you say war would be a major key word if you're looking at history? You got, you, and you found out if you were even just doing a, a, an American history thing and there was some kind of a war that was noted in history, you'd go, oh, that's a marker because that's, that's first of all, you can timeline it, right? It's one of the reasons we are, we are blessed to be able to even at least basically get an idea of how long people lived and so forth is because we you know when they started ruling and when they ended ruling things are marked down in history in the canons right so when it says specifically here that it's given to him to make war war is a big marker right war would be probably something that if you continue to find cross references would you probably want to look for any other suggestions that there's a war or a war in particular who is the war against the saints. And who's coming against the saints? The beast. So it's the beast making war against the saints. Any questions on that particular subject? Huh? Yeah, true. You're right about that. It feels like we're in it now, she said. War is going on in America right now. That's true. It does feel that way. But what we do know when we timeline this is we're not in the war yet. We're, we're approaching that, but we're not in this war. We're in a war, but not this war. So we're going to be able to distinguish that. So let's talk about that. Let's put that up here. Uh, it's given to. It's given to him now over here remember it was he was given authority right who gave him the authority satan gives him his authority and here again it is given to him to do what to make war so what is that you see here then is what is it that empowers this particular king this beast to be able to do the things that he's going to be doing who is who is the one that is motivating him? Who, what, who is the one that is empowering him and directing him? Satan. Now, what this makes me think of is um, when I did a study in Romans and we talked about federal headship because people, obviously kings are people, right? And these are people who, in this case, whoever they are, they're kings, but they are being empowered by Satan. And I think that in years past, anyway, there was an awful lot of avoidance about spiritual things, supernatural things. We didn't talk about them very much. I think people, first of all, they didn't study it very much. We sure hadn't really studied Revelation that much when I was young growing up. So, that, I mean, 50 years ago, I never, I don't ever remember hearing a sermon on Revelation. You know, I grew up in a good old Southern Baptist church where it was, you know, fire and brimstone preaching, get saved <laughs> every Sunday. <laughs> Um, but if you look at this idea that he has given this, him this authority, the idea then is in federal headship doctrine, it teaches that people are either in Christ federally under his headship or they are under who? Satan. Satan. You're in the world or you're 
or you're of God. You're in darkness or you're in light. And you see this over and over throughout all the scripture. And Romans chapter five speaks specifically about federal headship. It doesn't, that title's not used in there, but that's what the title is given through, you know, scholar. I, I don't want to say like doctrinal teachings. If you do doctrinal teaching, when we did Romans, they, we identified it as federal headship. And it's saying you are either, when you're born, every human being is born, what? In sin. Yeah. We're born in sin. And we are federally under Adam, is what Romans 5 teaches. We're in Adam. And in Adam, we are fallen man because of our sin nature that we have. And in order to be federally under Christ, where you're now walking in grace and you're saved, you must make that federal headship change, which is made through covenant relationship with God, right? All right. So that's what we're seeing here. These yeah, I see that. So what we are is we have got, um, hold on, I'm going to duck. <laughs> I'll make that. Yeah, I could, I could definitely do that, right? Okay, so when you're looking at this, then what you're seeing that Satan gives his authority to this beast, the beast is given authority to act for 42 months, and it's given to him to make war with the saints. Okay? Now, a a possible question then would be, who are the saints? Okay. When you looked in 12 and 13, were there any indicators that gave you an understanding of who the saints would be? Okay. 1217 says what? Um, so the dragon was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. <laughs> The testimony of Jesus. Very good. And that is in ver that's in 12 verse 17. Verse 17. Okay. So 1217 literally identifies for you then who these saints are. Because remember in scripture, chapter 12 and 13, there is no break in the writing. We put it there for our convenience. But 12 and 13 are a flow of thought. So if 12 is laid down, your understanding when you get to 13, you already know who they are. He, she, they are introduced as the, the children of the woman, and they're the children who um, keep the commandments of God, right? And, and then when you get into 13, they're identified just by another name, and they're called the saints. And, but the same thing is occurring there. Let me show you something, though. In 14... In verse 14, what, oh, no, 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 let's not do that one first. Let's do, um, chapter let's look at 12. Yeah, let's go back to chapter 12. Look at verse 9 and 10. I can't think there's some real good information there about, about what's going on with the dragon. Because it, now we're going back to the dragon because what we're talking about here, the authority is given to the beast by Satan, right? And so when we go back here to the dragon who is Satan, the nuances is that the authority is given to these men. It's given to them to uh, perform or to make war. I'm looking for my other marker. I don't see it. I want to mark this in a way that you can see it because there's a time reference right here. It's given to him to act for 42 months against the saints. Back here, what do we see about this same Satan is that what does he do in 12.9? What does Satan do? deceives the whole world yeah how does he do that 
just by looking at what's said here. It's given to him. It's given to him. So what did we just talk about? Headship? The authority. Is, so in other words, who is empo empowering these kings is Satan. So what you're going to see is when you go between 12 and 13 of Revelation, sometimes it's speaking about Satan, but, it th but then it says Satan does this and Satan does that. But is it, it is literally Satan doing it, but he's doing it through whom? Through the kings. So Satan is doing it in 12. What does he do? Satan deceives the whole world. How does he do that? Through the kings, right? And it says um, in 10, go to 10 then, what else does the dragon do concerning those saints? And how are they titled in that verse? Brethren. Yeah. Brethren. They're, they're the brethren. Exactly. And he says, and he is the accuser of our brethren. So there's another title, accuser of the brethren. 1210. Go now, now to tie this back into chapter seven of Daniel. Go back to chapter 7 now, verse 25, and somebody read that for me. We see the same beast, or at least we assume it's the same beast. What is he doing there in 725? We're down the sights. Yeah. So he speaks out against the Most High. Now, did we see him doing that over here? How about these blasphemies, right? Right. And he says over here, then he says, um, he will speak out. Against the most high. So the speaking out lines up with what he's doing over there and he will do what to the saints. He will wear down who? The saints, right? So there's that same word, saints. Over here, we also see the brethren, right? And we see them called um, the saints again over here. So now what we need to do is talk just for a half a second about who are the saints. Yes. Do you have a question? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Tell me what you think. Where is the horn coming from in the vision of the um, chapter seven, the four beasts? Right. But when you go back to chapter seven and you look at those four beasts and we're talking about this, this beast speaking out against the most high and wearing down the saints, right? Where is, which beast are we talking about there? Which of the, I mean, there's four of them. Which beast are we talking about? 
the fourth one, right? Because that's the one he begins to expound on in Daniel chapter seven at the end of that. So Daniel chapter seven, he speaks most of his information he gives to us is about the fourth terrifying beast, right? And then he goes on to say, he, he, the fourth beast that's terrifying, he will speak out against the most high and he will wear down the saints. Does that match the horn coming out of the fourth beast? Okay, so you're using, you're saying all the ten horns plus this other extra horn. Well, what did we learn about the horns before? Yeah, what we know that the horns come up or rise up during that fourth, in that fourth beast, right? And they, they start out to be 10, they become 11, then they're, they're, they, he, he gets rid of three and now it ends up being eight. So there's eight of them. And what are those horns? How are they identified? Kings, those horns are kings, right? Okay, so the, it's a king in the fourth kingdom, in that fourth beast. I know you're making it harder than it has to be though. Tell me about, I know it's, it's, you have to layer this one piece at a time. And what you have to do is understand again, imagery often will um, convey a message of two different things at the same time. Sometimes for instance, a king can also be a kingdom. It can either be Babylon or it can be Nebuchadnezzar, right? Does everybody understand that? That sometimes when he speaks about a king, you, oh king, are that head of gold. But he goes on then to talk about that kingdom and as if that kingdom is the king and the king is the kingdom and they go back and forth, they vacillate back and forth. So the identifying marker of the king is sometimes a kingdom and then they'll switch right back and almost in the same flow of thought as you're reading through those verses, sometimes you're going, oh, He's talking about one of those people, but now he's talking about the kingdom. It's how do you tell the difference, right? What you have to be able to do for yourself is identify when is the logic of what's being said, speaking about an individual, and when is it speaking about a nation, right? So you're going to have to try to learn your discerning tools on that particular part of it. But right now, if it says literally he... Yes, it is one king. All right, and and he's call and he's calling it a terrifying beast. And what did we learn about the beast? The four beasts are four kings, but sometimes kings are kingdoms, right? That horn. Okay, yeah, and the answer is, where did those horns come out of? The beast. And what are the horns? They're kings. So if he's a king out of the fourth beast, what it's saying to you is sometimes it's speaking about one of those ten. Sometimes it's speaking about the coalition of the ten. And sometimes it's speaking about the one who rises up, who is larger in appearance. Mm-hmm. Are you in seven? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay.
Yes. Yes. But then what I'm, I'm hearing you say is beast, which is all of these evil kings. But sometimes it is, and sometimes it's speaking of the one. But in 25, it's saying he, so it's identifying one of those horns, and it's already told you which one it is, right? It's the little horn who is larger in appearance. Now, that isn't confusing, right? But, and you know what's going to be even worse is later on in Daniel, there's going to be another horn show up, and it's not going to be the little horn. It's going to be a rather small horn, and he's totally different than this little horn, and you're going to have to keep them straight. Remember, you're looking at imagery. And this is why with what we're doing in this class, I know, I know it's, it, it is a little frustrating and you don't feel like you got a full grip on it yet. But what happens is we talk about this enough and you start making lists and lining things up. You're going to start to see qualities and characteristics that match and you're going to start to see, okay, sometimes when he speaks about a king, he is talking about the whole kingdom. He's not talking about one. Other times he says, and he... And then you know, oh, it's one of those. Which one is it? Well, in the case of 725, it's he, the little horn, who, who rose up and subdued three and became larger in, or is larger in appearance. So, yeah, you have to keep track of it all the time. Eventually, you're going to be able to make notes in your observation worksheets, which one is the little horn and what, what do we call the little horn? When we, as Christians, we talk about an end time king that's going to come and rule over the, the Antichrist. You're going to be able to identify him as the Antichrist and mark your text as, oh, that's, I have a pitchfork on all my little horn guys because I want to distinguish that horn from all the rest and that, that he is the Antichrist that's to come because he is a single entity. Now, how does that, in, right, how does that entity get his power and authority? from satan so sometimes he's going to be referred to here as the dragon doing all this he's the accuser of the brethren he deceives the whole world he goes on to say uh in 725 what what happens with the saints there in set in daniel 725 he wears them down but it says the saints will be given where into his hand for a period of time, how much? Time, times, and half a time. So there's our, a time reference again, which we know now, if you're doing anything historical, you, if you see time references or mentions of war or mentions of particular people like saints or brethren, these are key people, places, and events. And you want to note them and mark them as key words on your observation worksheet because those are the ones that you need to come to become familiar with so that, no, I'm going to blow your mind totally, so that when you go to Ezekiel and Zechariah and Joel and, and um, uh, Matthew even, there's going to be references of these people. They're going to be called something totally different. They're not going to be called a beast or a little horn. They're going to be called something else. But you're going to learn to identify him by his characteristics, qualities, his activities, the things he's doing, who he's engaging with. And in this case, one of the things we're noting here is whoever this person is that seems to be keep brought up and being made a point of, being emphasized in all three of these references that we're looking at here is that little horn who's waging war with the saints. He's been given a certain period of time. So he's been given, uh, the saints are given into his hand. 
to his hand um, for a time, times, and half a time. All right, there's that clock again, correct? All right, now, when you're looking here at this beast over here and you're seeing he's speaking out against the most high and he's speaking blasphemies, does that match with anything that's going on here in any of these other references? Absolutely. There you go. Blasphemies against God. Here in, in, 13, in uh, chapter 12, do you see him in any way acting in a way that a, a person who is going against God or his temple or his his authority in chapter 12. Are there any references there? Say it again. Waging war. Yes, waging war. There's one way. He, he wages war against the saints. And so if he's waging war against the saints, would you call him an enemy of God? Yes. Would you call waging war with the saints an act of even blasphemy against God? Absolutely. Because he's defying the authority of God in in his actions. So although it isn't as clearly stated, the nuance is clearly stated. stated. The nuance. Say it again. Say it again. Get a repeat. Oh, it's me. I'm I'm reverberating. I'm too close to you. I'm sorry. I'll back up. (laughs) He accuses the brethren day and night. There's the red dragon doing that. But the, and the accuser is against the brethren. Okay, I want to go back to the question again. This is my third time. We're going to see if it works. Who are the saints? The, the people who are yes, following God. That's right. Those who are being faithful to God, who are following his word and who are keeping his commandments, right? Now, if you're in the New Testament in Revelation 13, Who's writing that book? John. Now, we haven't really covered all this in detail yet, but it's John. It's after the cross. So what is present in that time? The church, right? So we would call them Christians if we would refer to saints normally. However, we got a little problem here because the saints are being mentioned back in Daniel and it's lining up. Hmm. Oh, Darn, now we got a problem, right? Now we got to go, okay, there's got to be a slight little tweak that we got to make about this. What I'm going to do for you tonight is probably a little gift. <laughs> I want you to go to chat. You're going to get to it later. I, I'm not sure if we get to it in Daniel. Well, we do get to, to it in Daniel, in chapter 9 of Daniel. But go to chapter 9, 25. I think that's right. Let me see if I've written it down in here. I didn't write it on my chart. Look at nine. Tell me what nine twenty-five. It begins, I think, so in twenty-five. To know and discern that from the issuing of a decree. Okay, back up. I didn't go far enough. Seventy back. weeks. Yes, thank you. Twenty-four. Okay, twenty-four. Seventy <laughs> weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transfer. Okay, stop where you're at. Seventy weeks have been decreed for who? Your people. For your people and your holy, your holy city. city. Who is God speaking to? Who is the your and the you? Yeah, but who is God speaking to when he gives this, this in, um, prophecy? It's Daniel. 
to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, God gives a prophetic utterance to Daniel to give him more information about all these things that we're looking at here, right? And he's going to say in 924, Daniel, 70 weeks are decreed for you and your people. Now you take that you and your people, Daniel, and you go back over here, then who are the saints? Is Daniel, is Daniel talking about Christians? No. no. Would Daniel even know what a Christian is? No. They're the, they're the faithful followers of God, most high, but they, there is no Christian church at the time of the writing of Daniel. And yet what we see in Daniel is they are given into his hand. He's wearing them down. He is making war against them. And we can parallel it over here that they're being given authority to act for 42 months and they're making war with the saints. Do those line up? And is this the same person? Is this talking about the same time frame? Just by looking at the things that match, are we talking chapter 7, Revelation 12, and Revelation 13? Are the, the qualities and characteristics of the people that are, or the personage that's being described here, is it the same? Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. I got one yes. <laughs> but I'm having a hard time with you saying that it would ne wouldn't necessarily be the Christians. God is giving this revelation to Daniel. It's not fulfilled yet. God knows what's at the end. John knows the difference between Christians. Yes, he does. he does. But he also, what else does John know? John lived during the time before the cross as well. Mm -hmm. Who would he refer to as the saints? But he, he says. Now, he would after the cross, yes. But in his mind and in his growing up years, and all, he would, anyone that is, a, there you go, a follower of God. Exactly. Right. The only reason I'm trying to nuance this with you is because we're going to have a time in history where the church is not present, but God is going to be dealing with somebody called the saints because this is happening during the end time events of when these seals and trumpets and bowls are being poured out. And what did he just say to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, 24? These are 70 weeks, which are declared for who? Your people. Daniel, for you and your people and your holy city. What is their holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Is that our holy city? Not really. I mean, certainly we, we respect it, but we are not, um, we're not Jews. Jerusalem is not our holy city. We have the temple within us, right? Through the Holy Spirit, that through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the holy city is for Daniel. And he specifically says to you, Daniel, your, your people and your holy city. And so what I'm trying to point out to you is when he speaks about the saints, I know that I, I held on to that for the longest time and I couldn't quite discern the difference, but nobody talked about it either. Everybody just made an assumption that we were speaking about Christians. But when you go back to Daniel 9 and you see that what he's saying is, I'm talking about you, Daniel, and your people. Who are your, who's Daniel's people? the Jews. Yeah. And he calls them the saints. And when there's a cross reference here, he's going to say, I'm going to be dealing with you and your people. What do we know happens when the, when the tribulation occurs? Who is God dealing with? And what is his function and purpose for the tribulation? 
Yes, to bring people to him, and in particular to do what concerning the Jews, to do what with them? That's right, exactly. To bring them into faith and all, and to put Israel back on its land and for the kingdom of God to be established on earth with Israel as his, as his uh, major city. And th so that's why he's saying to him, Daniel, this is for you and your people that I'm working this plan through. And so there's going to be a period of time when the church per se, even though we're followers of God and we keep the commandments of God, but he's not dealing with the church. What does God teach us in, in other places in the Bible about the day of wrath? What are we not destined for? The day of wrath. But when you look at the seven years of tribulation, what are they all about? The coming of what? God's wrath, right? And it, as a matter of fact, in part one of Revelation, we're going to study one of the things to the, the seven churches, one of those letters, he says, that uh, I will rescue you out of that day of wrath. You will not endure that day of wrath, right? Okay. But why, and why can't the church in the Old Testament Yes, you could go that way. But is there a distinction between um, the, the Jews that God will be dealing with at the end time and in one day they will lift their eyes and all Israel shall be saved. Romans chapter 11 covers this, right? We'll get there later. But Romans 11 it makes it very clear that what God is doing in that day is fulfilling his word to Israel, that he will take them, put them back on their land and, and he will be their God and they will be his people which they rejected him. That's why in Ezekiel, he, his spirit left the temple and he let them go into captivity. And from that day forward, they were no longer in, a, in their own kingdom as their own rulers. They're back on their land right now, but they, are not, they do not possess all the land yet, which was part of the promise. And that's what's coming down the road. So all I'm trying to do is as we go along and I see little markers that I just want you to pay attention to and you don't have to, fully understand all of it yet, but just make a little note in the back of your head that it's something that you need to do not assume that a saint is a Christian because in Daniel's day, for sure it wasn't. And yet what we see with what Daniel says in Daniel 7, he's referring to these saints, how, the, how this beast, this specific fourth beast is going to make war with them right? And that a, for a period of time, times, and half a time, they're going to be given into that beast's hand. And we see that again over here. It is given to him to make war with the saints for how long? For 42 months, right? What did you learn about that time reference? What about in chapter 12? What did it say there? Because I think that's where it really gets clarified. Yeah, he says, the woman flees to the wilderness And she, he does that for a time, times, and half a time. And that's in 1214, correct? So there's our clock. So now we see a clock over here. We see a clock here and we see a clock here. We've got time, times, and half a time. Guess what we've got here? time, times, and half a time. There we've got 42 months, but there is one more reference that's given to us in verse 6, okay? What does it say there? 
Okay, 1,260 days. Now, I'm sure you all spent a lot of time trying to figure out all the math on that. Tell me, how much does that actually work out to be then? Three and a half years. Everybody's got that, right? The Jews equate a month as approximately 30 days. That's just kind of a rule of thumb. Now, it, it can change. I know that. But the general rule of thumb and how we know it is because he gives us 1,260 days and we can, we can break it down. He also gives us 42 months and you can figure it out by months. So what's really cool is when you get a reference that gives you a time frame and they're working with these saints, right? This woman her children who have to flee to the wilderness for the same amount of time. And it gives you the days right there. And then he does it over here for 42 months. Now, just by looking at that alone, would you say that you've got a legitimate cross-reference in chapter 12 and 13 to go back to Daniel 7? Are we comparing apples with apples? Yeah. Anybody have any thoughts or questions on that? No? You guys are all okay? <laughs> okay. I'm not hearing any words, so it must be good. Okay. That is basically what we are going to be doing this kind of method over and over and over for the next, I can't tell you how many hundreds. Of, I know it's exhausting, isn't it? <sighs> you feel, but what's going to be cool is pretty soon you're going to start recognizing certain qualities and characteristics about each of these individuals like when it's speaking about the dragon when it's speaking about the beast which beast is it speaking about wait till we start adding in other kingdoms and there's some similarities of some of the actions of these kings and other kingdoms and you want to put them down here at the end times and they don't go there you're going to have to learn to make sure you timeline you start plugging these things into the right thing so that when you get to that chapter and you're in a different kingdom you're not in the fourth beast. You're in some one of the others. You go, oh, that can't be the same guy. Boy, he sure looks like the other guy, right? But th this is what the discipline of this part of our work is all about in precept tonight and last week. Last week started you step one. It says just compare internally within the book of Daniel, compare two to seven. Now she's giving you some cross references and saying, compare and look at what you saw in seven and compare it to what you see in 12 and 13. And are there similarities enough of them that you can say, oh yeah, this is definitely speaking about the same time in history and it's the same person and he's doing the same things. Everybody's, okay, I'm trying to see if they're following me too. Because I mean, it, it, it is a discipline that takes time and when you're doing it, you get a little bit frustrated. It's kind of like what you were just saying, Sharon, a minute ago. Well, how do you know he's talking about the beast? He's not talking about the whole beast as, a, as opposed to one horn. You have to look at the qualities and characteristics of that kingdom sometimes and say, oh, he is referring to the whole kingdom. Because sometimes when he refers to the, to the little horn, who is the one who rises up among those others and he takes charge, guess what? He's in charge of who? The whole kingdom. So when whatever he acts, he's acting on behalf of what? The whole kingdom. So sometimes Nebuchadnezzar was being referred to as some of the things in the dream. 
You, O king, are that head of gold. Well, later came Belshazzar. Was he still that head of gold? Yeah, because it was still Babylon. So are you starting to follow what I'm saying at this point? You have to nuance it sometimes to say, well, when is he talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the man, or Little Horn, the individual king, and when is he talking about the kingdom? And sometimes, actually, the answer is yes, and yes. <laughs> yes, it's talking about the kingdom. Yes, it's talking about the king, because the king represents the kingdom. Okay, but there are certain actions that that king called the little horn that he's going to engage in that are going to be com completely identifiable. So guess what? When you go into uh, Zechariah or you go into Ezekiel or you go into Joel, you're going to recognize him because of his characteristics that you've begun to make a list on tonight and last week. And you're going to become so familiar with him that you'll be able to go into cross-references and say, okay, now wait a minute, which kingdom am I in? That's going to be your only real question. You're going to think, timeline, where am I in this scenario of this book of the Bible? Oh, that is talking about in that day, at the day, at time of the end. When um, in chapter two, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar is given his dream, the very first thing Daniel tells him about your, his dream is what? what? What is it pertaining to? Do you remember? Go back to Daniel chapter 2 and look right at the very beginning of your interpretation portion of Daniel 2. It starts in verse 36. Uh, no, it doesn't either. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. Um, because it tells him, okay, I'm sorry, 28, go to verse 28. That's when Daniel first begins to introduce back to this king, and he's going to say to the king, king, I'm going to give you the interpretation, right? What does he tell him the interpretation is about? The future. King, these are things about time in the future, right? latter days so there's going to be again another subject that's going to come up for us eventually as we're studying eschatology this one and when we move into revelation where you're going to be needing to pay attention when it says latter days when it says the time of the end or it says the last days you're going to have to become familiar enough with the activities of of those things that we just mentioned in three different ways, but realize that they're speaking of the same time. And it's a specific time. It's not a general time. The things that are going to happen in the last days are not the things that are happening in the church age. The church age is a whole nother category. It has a different name. It's going to be similar, but it's not the same. And you'll begin to understand that later. So all of these steps that we're doing right now, where we're making comparisons, compare this chapter to this chapter to this chapter, make your list, look to see what matches. Now, I'm going to give you a shortcut on what you, we did in our homework this week. You could have done it in one simple thing. You're going to hate me when I tell you this. Oh, that's all I had to do? <laughs> tell me, what were your key words for Daniel chapter 7? Let's see if I can find a pen that will write dark enough to see. Uh, it's got to be this blue one here. Okay, I'm going to do it like this. I'll, I'll draw a line so that you can see where I'm at. So I'm going to put right down here in this section of my chart, I'm going to put 
uh, keywords, the, the keywords that you all come up with. What are your keywords for chapter seven of Daniel? Okay, God. Okay, kingdoms, kingdoms, dominion. Yeah, there's a thing, those 10 horns again, right? There you go. Thank you. Beasts. What else? Which of, this, of the beasts that are given to us are most... It tells us about four beasts, right? But then what is the emphasis that we're given information on? The fourth, the fourth beast. So, so you're going to want to write the four, four beasts, but you're going to write down also the fourth beast to distinguish that there's some emphasis on that one last uh, beast that's mentioned. It mentions the 10 horns, 10 horns, four beasts, the fourth beast, God, kingdoms, the horn. Now there's another nuance in that one too with the horn. There's 10 horns, but is there one horn that's identified more clearly and he's emphasized? The little horn. So you need to mark that as a keyword. Okay, any others? I was looking. Would, um, who are some of the, remember we're in history, people, places, events. So who are some of the other people in there? The beast, son of man, ancient of days. So that's, you're speaking of God and so forth. Yes. Daniel and his people. And who are his people? They're called the, and somebody's waging war with them. Yes, the saints. <laughs> the saints. And then there's that time reference also. Anytime you're looking at um, history, you're looking for people, places, events. So those are going to be your key words when you go through and you mark your, your book up, right? We know another key subject is war because a war happens in that time. So you're going to write war down. And then there's that time reference of time, times, and half time, right? Okay. There may be other keywords, and they're probably very legit. But for right now, we're just going to leave it right there because I think it's enough to give us an opportunity to see what I want you to see. Let's go over to chapter 12 of Revelation and tell me what your keywords are there. The woman. The woman. Okay. The dragon. Yes, the dragon. Oh, again, horns, right? How many horns? Ten. <laughs> okay. Waging war. The ten. Waging war again. Okay. Kingdom. I'm sorry, say that again. Kings. kings. Uh, I didn't get anything up there about kings. Give me a reference. 
Oh, is it say seven kings? They have, they are seven kings on the interpretation. Okay. Uh, the horns, the 10 horns, the seven diadems. So we should mention diadems. And then we'll put with that kings and put them as kind of one subject. The kings, because diadems represent kings, correct? Okay. Is there another time reference in that particular yes. chapter 12 of Revelation? Again, yeah, 1,260. Okay, and times, times, time, and one half time again. All right, now let's go over to 13 and do it again. What do you see there? Beast. Okay. Um, ten horns. So it was a beast, ten horns. People, places, events. Saints. <laughs> War and 42 months. Okay. I, we could go on, right? I mean, there, there are probably others to do there. But now, when, when I didn't realize this until after I had done my homework, and when I did it, and I thought, you know, we should, we should cover what the keywords are, because as inductive students, that's one of the things you're learning is how to identify your keywords in each book that you look at. When it's history, people, places, events, you're going to hear me say that over and over, because those are the primary things. There's a few other things, too, but people, places, and events, absolutely, and time references have to be noted if you're looking at anything historical because that's going to help you put it on a timeline and lock it into a specific place in history, right? When you do this, what are you seeing just by looking at your comparison of your three lists of, of keywords? They're all the same, <laughs> which I think is funny because just by doing a list of my keywords and doing a parallel chart like that, I end up going, oh, that legitimizes we're comparing apples to apples right there. You don't even have to do all this list making that we just spent all this time doing. All you really had to do is make a list of your keywords in each of your chapters and you would be able to go, oh, 10 horns, 10 horns, 10 horns, the saints, the saints, or the, the women's children, the saints, uh, the uh, time times and half a time, the one. Now, here's the other thing. We spent a whole day looking at this time reference, time, times, and half the time, right? Mm -hmm. If you had just done your, your parallel chart of your keywords, you would have already known just by doing that without doing any other cross-referencing, without doing word studies, although none of that hurts you to do because it just, in, it seeds it deeply in your brain and you get it figured out even better. But just by looking at this right here, You've already got your answer of what does times, times, and half a time mean just by laying them out side by side in your time, in your uh, keywords list. Now, what I like to do, um, and I haven't been as faithful in doing it the last couple of chapters. I need to, to kick back in and do it again. I like to, once I have marked my my uh, observation worksheet with keywords, I like to go back at the top of my page 
or at the back at the end if there's a space there and make a list just like this of who my keywords are, what my keywords are for each chapter. And that way, when I flip my page and I, I flip back to chapter seven, maybe of Daniel, and I look at the top, I can immediately look to see what are my major subjects in that particular chapter without sitting there reading the whole thing and trying to look for things. Just by making a list of keywords, it's gonna be a tool for you that helps you expeditiously figure out what's going on in that chapter and what did I learn in there that was important. So you might wanna do that, but this, right, this particular little step right here, you pretty much finished comparing apples to apples and going, yes, we've got, a good, we've got two good cross-references to our Daniel book. And that was basically all our work that we did this week. We just wanted to make sure that you begin to see qualities and characteristics that are similar and that they fit into the same time frame, and that the events that are occurring are occurring by the same person and against the same people. And the time referencing is really huge because it'll help you make sure that the time frame is the same. If in all three of them, we're speaking of three and a half years, for three and a half years, the saints are given into the beast's hand. And for time, times and half a time, the woman has to flee because the dragon who is Satan is coming against him. Well, how does he come against him? Well, he does it over here when Satan gives his power and authority back to this same beast that we looked at over there. So this beast is coming against those saints for 42 months and 42 months is three and a half years. Yeah, because uh, we're looking at how many days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what we know is the Jewish reckoning of time is about 30 days for a month. And then they, they make adjustments with leap years and all those things. But yeah. Okay. Well, we did that quickly tonight. The woman, the male child. And Do you want to talk about the woman? What would you like to know? What do you think the woman is? It was one of the questions Kay asked us at the last of our homework. Who do you think that woman is? Israel. I think Israel. Okay, Israel. Israel gave birth to the male child. And then the dragon did what? Concerning the male child? Yeah, he tried to consume him or devour him, right? Okay. 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 Yes. Okay, good. And we haven't done a bunch of study in that. When we do revelation, we're going to do a lot more research on who that woman is and what the symbolism is in all that pictorial imagery there in 12, because it talks about the woman and what does it talk about beneath her feet and on her head or something? 12 stars. 12 stars. 12 stars. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay, good. You, I mean, you did really well. So it's a male child, Jesus, then? That's about how right. he's born, and then God, you know. Okay, who's pursuing the male child? Satan. 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 And he wants to do what? Devour. He wants to devour that male child. But what happens? God takes him up, right? So what is that taking up, speaking of? The resurrection, yeah. So he, Jesus is then resurrected, and then who's left behind? The children of the woman. Mm -hmm. If the woman is Israel, who are the saints? 
because it's the woman's children. Ah, interesting. You may have answered your own question already. I'm sorry. I may have jumped ahead. I just wanted to sit on that because of the testimony of Jesus. But at the end time, I won't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I know it. I don't want to spoil it for you. I want you guys to get there on your own, and you will. Right. We're going to go into a lot of detail on that later. When we do Revelation, we're going to do 12 and 13 in the context of Revelation. And then we are going to look at that woman much more carefully than we did for tonight. Tonight, the woman is not really addressed in Daniel at all, right? Except that he does say to Daniel in chapter 9, it's for you and your people. Uh, and that's why I wanted to bring that particular verse up. But yeah, the woman symbolically if you come to the conclusion that she's israel then her children are the jews and that's the the jews are being called the saints in these references yeah so just kind of keep that just keep adding to your palette of information on these things and you eventually you're going to get more and more understanding okay all right, so, and I will send out the chart, of course. So you'll have that. Uh, Kristen, I should say, will send out the chart. She does all the hard work. I'll, all I do is send it over to her. Any other questions? Okay, Sharon has another question. If you do, you all have a, any questions? I, I can't hear them, but if they can turn your, if you turn your mics on, do you have any questions for me? Nope. Okay. That must mean you know it all. Next time. He's in the restroom. <laughs> Pardon? I didn't hear what she said. Okay. Good. All right. Thank we're gonna you. we're gonna close it off. We'll see you all.